Resurrection Day. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God. The Resurrection Day celebration, the personal concern of a personal God is expressed even from the grave. The personal concern of a personal God is expressed even from the grave. Today we celebrate Let me tell you what Christians are not celebrating today. We are not celebrating Easter, a holiday created to worship the pagan goddess Eoster, the pagan goddess of the dawn who is connected to a spring festival of fertility, in other words, orgies, a festival of new birth, allegedly, a, a festival of regrowth because the spring, everything starts growing again. If you were wondering why bunnies and eggs for Easter, they are symbols of fertility. If you wonder about Easter itself, it's just as great a way to obscure the significance of Resurrection Day as Santa Claus is a way to obscure the significance of Christmas. We Christians are celebrating today the most important day in divine history, the day that Jesus Christ proved his deity by being resurrected from the dead. And we celebrate the event that separated the Lord Jesus Christ from all the pretenders because there is nobody that has been resurrected from the dead other than Jesus Christ. And there is a lot of sadness in religious circles over this weekend at this time of the year because the focus is on the brutality of Jesus' crucifixion and his death on a cross. And so we see... The religious see Jesus Christ like this. They see him hanging from the cross with a sad look on his face and a crown of thorns. To be sure, crucifixion is the worst form of death in human history. Yet dying on a cross alone is not enough to make Jesus special. Many people have been willing to die for a cause. Many people have been martyred. Only one man, the God-man... The Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, the Jewish Messiah has been resurrected from the dead. And so that's what we celebrate today as Christians. We celebrate the delight that we have that three days after three full days in the grave, not from Friday to Sunday, that is not three full days, but from his crucifixion on a Wednesday night to Thursday, to Friday, to Saturday, 
on Sunday, there was an empty grave. And this is a big deal because the Roman guards, the Romans assumed that when Jesus died, that his uh, apostles would come and steal the body and say he was resurrected from the dead. So what they did is they posted guards in front of the grave to make sure that that did not happen. And what actually happened was the guards were disposed of, the, the rock was rolled back by angels, and his body was taken from the grave. He was resurrected from the dead. And in the Bible, there is a particular story where there was a collusion among the Roman government and the guards because typically if a guard failed like that, they would be killed. But there was a collusion between the government and the guards. You don't say anything, we won't say anything. Just tell them that the, the apostles came and stole them because they were seeking to discredit the resurrection from the dead. This is what we celebrate, the empty grave. We celebrate a Christ who is off the cross because he is no longer bound by death. He could never be bound by death. His resurrection from the dead is what made him special. His resurrection from the dead vindicated him, proving that he is God just as he said he is. And he predicted his resurrection. He is not merely a man. He's not merely a good teacher. He's not merely a good rabbi. He's not merely a prophet like everybody else. He is God in human form who was resurrected from the dead with his own power. And he is certainly not a criminal, guilty of any crime or any sin, as he was falsely accused. Remember Luke chapter 23, verse 4? What did the unbeliever Pontius Pilate say? Then Pontius Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds who wanted Jesus crucified, I find no guilt in this man. He did nothing wrong. And one of the thieves on the cross was uh, berating Jesus. And the other thief on the cross told the one who was berating Jesus, hey, we're up here because we did something. We stole. This guy did nothing wrong. And then the thief said that one thing that should shake a religious person to their very core. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And after a miserable life as an unbeliever, that moment he became a believer in Christ and he is in heaven today. And you will meet him, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll meet him one day. Welcome to our Resurrection Day celebration. Well, let's start with some music. We celebrate what made our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unique. Luke chapter 24 verses 1 to 9 say this, On the first day of the week, which was a Sunday, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, which is on Saturday. It's Jewish Sabbath is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. So on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, at early dawn, the women who had come with Joseph of Arimathea out of Galilee came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, a couple things to note here. J Joseph of Ar Arimathea was a Pharisee. And he was a very rich Pharisee, but he was also a believer in Christ. And he donated the grave. This was his grave that he donated so that Jesus Christ could use it. So it was a, a grave that was not used by anyone before. And the other thing to note is, who was the first to come to the grave? The women. 
It's always the women who are the first to do it because they were listening to what Jesus Christ had to say. And so they were the first ones. And what were they bringing the spices for? Because they anticipated that Jesus would stinketh after three days because guests and fish stink after three days. Amen? Amen. So Luke 24, verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So the women were there at the tomb. The stone was rolled away because they were worried who was going to roll away the stone. But they found it rolled away already. Luke chapter 24, verse 3, what else did they find? But when they entered the tomb, the women did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Luke, there it is. It was an empty grave. And out into the distance, the three crosses, two thieves and Jesus in the middle. Luke 24, 4, and while they kept on being perplexed about this, Behold, two men, angelic beings, suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. The Greek says, clothes that gleamed like lightning, a blinding light. Luke 24, 5. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? What a great question. It calls to mind what Job said, I know My Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Luke 24, 6. Jesus is not here, but he has risen from the dead. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? Luke 24, 7. Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, which is a term referring to unbelievers and that he must be crucified, and that on the third day he would rise again from the dead, what were the angels doing? They were reminding everybody what the word of God said. Luke 24, 8, and the women remembered the Lord's words. Luke 24, 9, and they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 apostles, minus Judas Iscariot, who had already done his betrayal deed, and to all the rest of the Lord's disciples. And of course, the Lord's disciples thought the women were crazy. What makes our God unique is his resurrection from the dead, the empty grave. Let's lift our hearts in song to the heavens as we celebrate Jesus.
be clapping and stuff. I didn't want you guys to get excited, though. But this is exciting. We're celebrating. You were excited. We're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. So today's lesson, the Resurrection Day celebration, the personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. The personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. We have a personal God who has a personal concern for each one of us. And during the Resurrection Day celebration, I want you to get your head wrapped around that idea. The idea that the Lord's concern for you is extremely personal. The Lord was concerned for his apostles, all of whom, by the way, abandoned him because they were terrified that they were going to be arrested and crucified like Jesus. The Lord wanted to calm them all down. And the Lord's personal concern for the doubting one, Thomas, was on the Lord's mind after his resurrection. John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29 say this. So when it was evening on that day, resurrection day, the first day of the week, Sunday, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were and where they were is in the upper room where they had heard the discourse the night before his crucifixion, where the Last Supper had happened, the fear, for fear of the Jews, the doors were closed, and Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He said that to calm them down, and one of the things that you should note is that he was in his resurrection body. And one day you're going to have a resurrection body, and what was his resurrection body able to do? Cody, are you ready for this? His resurrection body was able to walk right through a wall. Amen? That is so cool. Love that. I can't wait. John 20, 20. 
And when Jesus had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I love all the people who talk about, well, you have to worship the Lord in blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. Blind Faith is placed in something after an examination. You would not get on American Airlines if you heard every day that American Airlines had had another crash. You get on American Airlines because you heard they haven't had any crashes. You get on Qantas Airlines because they've never had a crash. Amen? Amen? We place our faith in things that we examine first. We don't do it blindly, and we certainly don't do it blindly with God, and God certainly doesn't expect you to have whatever that stupid thing is that people call blind faith. He expects you to inspect, and that's why he came to the upper room and he showed himself to his disciples, John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Just as God the Father has sent me into the world, I also send you into the world. The disciples were from that moment on commissioned to take over where Jesus left off, to preach, to teach, and to spread the gospel message of a so great salvation all throughout the world. John chapter 20, verse 22. And after Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It was the exact same thing that he had promised them in John chapter 16. It's good for you that I go away, because if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you, and he will guide you into all the truth. And everything that he was saying to them kept coming back to them because he had been preparing them for three years. And they didn't know what the hell he was talking about. They didn't know what to believe. They were thinking, is this guy a psycho? But then all of a sudden, the most convincing proof, he died on a cross. They saw it. He was in the grave for three days, and he was resurrected from the dead And all of a sudden, everything started to dawn on them. And then the breathing into them of the Holy Spirit, who guides them into all the truth, now they were going to get a chance to know what they had just seen in the last three years. John chapter 20, verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, he said to his apostles, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, those sins have been retained. John 20, 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, the doubting one, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came to the upper room. John 20, 25. So the other disciples were saying to Thomas excitedly, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. The Lord expressed his personal concern for Thomas by coming back a few days later. John chapter 20, verse 26. And after eight days, Jesus' disciples were again inside the upper room, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came in, the doors having been shut. So he walked through the wall again and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Isn't that funny what he kept saying to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Calm down. Everything is in control. That's exactly what he's been saying to us for the whole last year. Calm down. COVID has no no hold over you. What the world is doing has no hold over you. Peace be with you. 
calm down. That's what he was saying to them. So after eight days, the Jesus' disciples were again inside the upper room, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came in, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst. And he said, Peace be with you, John 20, 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. How did he know that Thomas had said that? How did he know that Thomas had asked for that? Oh, he's omniscient. He knows all that is knowable. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere simultaneously. He was there when Thomas said it in the first place. He's all-powerful. He can do anything he wants. That's why. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. And so Jesus said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hand. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but keep on believing. John 20, 28, and Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. John 20, 29, the Lord, always a teacher, said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't need to see. One of the things that Peter said is, I have seen the Lord in all his glory, and I will tell you that his word is more powerful than seeing him actually in his glory. Powerful statement from one of the characters, the character that we're going to look at today. In today's lesson, we will learn that the Lord had the same personal concern for the apostle who is most like all of us, the apostle Peter, and best of all, he has the same personal concern for each one of you. So that's the lesson introduction. Now let's hear another song. Because Christians keep on sinning after salvation, it's easy to think that God is disappointed with us. I assure you, our God, who, our God loves you without condition, and this God who loves you without condition, a God who went to the cross to pay for every sin you'd ever commit, past, present, and future, is not, never has been, and never will be disappointed with you. Amen? Amen. If he is, if God is disappointed with you, If all the things that the religious people tell you, that God is disappointed with you, that God's waiting to come down on you, that God is waiting to throw your sins back up in your face when you die, that you need an extra cleansing from sin after you die, if that's true, which it isn't, then why did he bother going to the cross? What was the whole point? What what would be the point? If you got to pay for your sins, what's the point in him going and doing it? You paying for your sins is counterfeit money. You can't pay for your sins. Because there's only one perfectly satisfactory payment for sin in the eyes of God the Father, and that's what Jesus Christ did at the cross, shedding his blood. Amen? All right, so put all your little religious legalism Take it, tear it up, and throw it in the garbage because it's meaningless. I had people telling me this week, and you know, I say, how do you get to heaven? Oh, you got to live a good life. And then you're screwed because you don't live a good life. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You sin. Did you sin today? Yes. Then you don't live a good life. God's completely disappointed with you. Just kidding. 
<laughs> Some of the stuff we believe is just mind-boggling, isn't it? Like, what did he go to the cross for? You can ask any five-year-old that. Why did Jesus Christ go to the cross? To pay for our sins. Okay, well, are they paid for? Yes. Hey, he said this Greek word on the cross, tetelestai. It translates, it is finished. What is the Greek idiom? It, paid in full. Tetelestai, paid in full. What's paid in full? Huh? Tell me. Your sins. Paid in full. Now you got to pay more? You don't understand? If you buy furniture, no, if you go buy furniture and the couch is $1,000 and you pay $1,000, they stamp it, paid in full. Now you want to go pay more? Is that what you do? If you do, I got some couches I need to sell. <laughs> Amen? You don't go pay more. It's paid in full. <laughs> it's paid in full. There's nothing else to pay. No more payment for your sins needed. None of your, oh, God, I can't believe I did it, crap, means anything in the plan of God. None of it. Oh, I feel guilty. Every time somebody does something wrong in the world, what's the first thing everybody expects? Well, he better be humble. He better show some remorse. What does the remorse do? Oh, I'm so sorry I did it. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. What does that do? Does it fix it? Does it change anything that happened? No, and it doesn't even change the people who are asking for it because they say, I don't think he's sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's just pathetic. And this all stems from our misperception of our amazing God. I paid for it, it's done, finished. Don't bring it up again. And we, we do things that people don't, that God would never do to us. You get people who are married, and one of the people in the marriage makes a mistake. And what's the other person do? They're going to punish them. Incessantly punish them. Just keep bringing it up. Keep bringing it up. Keep revisiting it. Keep bringing it up. And think that that's going to build a relationship. It's not going to build a relationship. It just tears it down and tears it down and tears it down more. And the person who's doing the tearing down, the punishing, doesn't see that what they're doing is worse than what the other person did as a mistake. It's worse. And not for the other person, for themselves. They can't get over it. They can't get it off their mind. They're completely out of control. Because the only way to get control in life is unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace. When somebody wrongs you and you forgive them, you're in control. Because you can't make them pay. They don't want to pay. They're not going to pay. And if they did pay, you wouldn't allow the payment to be paid in full. Amen? Amen. Isn't this silly what we do? I, well, I'm holding the grudge. Well, good. Who's carrying the grudge around? You. It's a 50-pound suitcase you carry on your back. That's not what Christ does. As far as the east is from the west, I won't remember your sins. Why is that, Lord? Because there's 7 billion of you. I ain't got no time to be thinking about what all y'all did. Amen? The ultimate freedom, forgiveness. 
So, because Christians keep sinning after salvation, it's easy to think God's disappointed, but he is not disappointed with you. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, The earned wages of sin, the compensation you pay for your sinful deeds, is the second death in the lake of fire. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead, in a state of sin, on the wrong side of a barrier, separated from God. And if you stay in that state, you are going to the lake of fire. That's the payment for sin. But the free of charge and gracious gift of God the Father is eternal life, the resurrection life, in union with Christ Jesus, our Lord, for all those who believe in Christ. There are your choices. Pay for your own sins or let the Lord pay for your sins for you. You pay for your own sins, you do it in the lake of fire. You let Lord pay the sins for you, you go to heaven. That simple. Make a choice. Now, make a choice. So, as Christians, we don't worry about our sins. Why? Well, June Murphy helps us, helps the Lord tell us in a song, because the Lord says... My cross made you good enough.
Amen to that. Yeah, we never think we're good enough, but God does. And if we don't look at ourselves through God's eyes, we won't see ourselves as we really are. Because he thinks you're good enough. You want to pull out a rubber hose and beat yourself up and talk about how bad you are and how nobody could ever like you and guess I'll go eat worms, knock yourself out. But the cross made you good enough. Amen, June. Amen. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the hope this day inspires in our souls. Thank you for what you are willing to do with flawed people. Thank you for making us aware that our mistakes do not define us in your eyes. Let this powerful message sink deeply into the souls of your believers who hear on this day so they can be edified by the unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace that this part of the Christian calendar inspires. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Happy birthday, Letitia, tomorrow. It's on the announcements, but you weren't here, so you got to go listen to that, because I teased you a little bit on there, so make sure you listen to the recording on the Barat Ministries website. The Resurrection Day celebration, the personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. The personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. This is the hardest lesson, this and Christmas are the hardest lessons for a pastor to write because you can't get through five minutes of writing without breaking down into tears because you just, all of a sudden, all of the magnificence of the Lord just comes to you at, at one time. You know, all of the little work that you do over the year, it all culminates in knowing what he did for us at the cross and what he did for us three days later by being raised from the dead. Because it gives us a confidence that is unparalleled to know that when we close our eyes in this life, we'll be absent from this body but face to face with the Lord. And that his word is good enough. It's just amazing. Well, Judas Iscariot isn't the only one who betrayed Jesus Christ. One of our Lord's most trusted apostles, the Apostle Peter, also betrayed the Lord. It's funny how many times I've heard Christians tell me what they're going to say to Adam and Eve when they get to heaven. You know, why did you do it? And what were you thinking? These are the typical messages these hypocritical Christians are ready to send. Little do they know that they would have done the exact same thing, only faster. Peter symbolizes our human weakness. Peter embodied many of our human characteristics. He was self-righteous. He thought that he had a righteousness from his own human power. He was courageous. He was the one who cut off Malchus's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus. And the guards who arrested Jesus should have put two and two together because Jesus bent down, took the guy's ear, and put it back on. (laughs) Uh, Hello. When they walked up to him, he said, Whom do you seek? And they fell to their knees and fell to their faces because he sent his countenance, his glory, toward them. They should have put two and two together. But they didn't. And that's what happens with unbelievers. They're so stupid that they don't see what's right in front of their face. So, 
He was self-righteous. He was courageous. He was outspoken. He had a knack for putting his foot in his mouth. He was impulsive. He, he acted first and thought later. And he was even a bit of a coward at times. He, with, with all of the, the courageousness, it was all a lot of bravado. Because when push came to shove, he cowered at times when he was with the Jews. And they were saying, you don't really believe that Jesus is the Christ, do you? And he said, hey, can we get some food? <laughs> you know, yeah, let's get some of that food. The, not, not any of the, we can eat anything food, but let's, you know, let's do everything that the Jewish law commands. So he was a bit of a coward. That's why Peter went over and uh, Paul went over and ripped him for it. Yet Peter was one of the apostles who were in the Lord's inner circle. So look at that. The Lord, an omniscient God, who when he was picking apostles to be in his inner circle, who did he pick? He picked flawed people. Who did he put in charge of the treasury? The one he knew would betray him. And that should tell you everything you want to know about God. You want to beat yourself up. Start thinking about that. Who did the Lord pick to be the replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot? the worst human being of all time, Paul, whose single-handed goal was to wipe out the Christian church, who every day got up and killed men, women, and children who were Christians, who belonged to the way. And this is the person that the Lord selected to to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Who did he pick to become the public speaker for the Jews? Moses, who had stage fright, who got up and said, the one thing you should never do in this life is marry a black woman. Amen? And then he married a black woman the next week. And David, who took a rock to a sword fight, he took a slingshot to fight a nine-foot-tall guy with a sword. And Gideon, who had 350 people, and he said, Gideon, I want you to deliver the, the, the people of Israel. And Gideon said, well, I mean, like, but, but why, would you, why, would you, why would you ask me to do that? And can you give me a sign? And he asked the Lord for three signs that it was really the Lord. And then the Lord reduced his force from 350 to 35, and they beat an army with pots and pans. Amen? God doesn't need strong people. He needs obedient, willing people. That's it. He uses flawed people. And I can't even tell you the relieved look that I see on all of your faces. Amen? It's evident that you know you're flawed. Amen? Amen. The Lord can use you. (laughs) So who did he have in his inner circle? He had flawed men. He had a knack. He he picked Peter, who had a knack for putting his foot in his mouth. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 8 say this. Six days later, after Jesus predicted his own death, which Peter was beating him up for, no, this can never happen, Mr. Bravado, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, Matthew 17, 2. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. This was the Lord in all his glory, 
as we will all see him at his second coming. He was giving Peter, James, and John a preview of what they would see at the second coming. Matthew chapter 17, verse 3, And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them also, and they were talking with Jesus. Why Moses? He represented all of the dead believers in Christ. Elijah represented the raptured believers in Christ because Elijah never died. He was taken up, just like many believers in Christ will be taken up in the next event in divine history, which is the exit resurrection of the church. We might be lucky enough to be in that generation, I doubt it, but it's close. Peter, of course, seeing the Lord in all of his glory, gets as giddy as a schoolboy. Matthew 17, 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Like us, Peter, instead of just watching the show, wanted to help. And God the Father interrupted Peter and in a nice but almighty way told Peter to shut up. Matthew 17, 5. While Peter was still speaking, he got interrupted. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Shut up. Matthew 17, 6. And when the disciples, Peter, John, and James, heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. If you're ever wondering what you're going to do when you see the Lord face to face, You've heard it five times already today. They fell down on their face and worshiped. You can't even stand in his glory without feeling that countenance. It's just amazing. Matthew 17, 7. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. Matthew 17, 8. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This was Peter, a leader among the disciples who always had a knack for doing the right things, followed by a bunch of wrong things. Just like us. We do one right thing, 60 wrong things. And we, we just struggle and we wonder, why can't I ever get it together? Why can't I ever do it? Your plan, no plan. God's plan, only plan. Amen? You just need to orient to Him. Our omnipotent Lord knew who would betray him. At the Last Supper on the night before he was crucified, Jesus revealed that Judas Iscariot would betray him. And after Judas left to do his dirt for 30 pieces of silver, the Lord warned Peter that he would do the same thing. To get Peter ready to recover from this betrayal, the Lord told Peter about it in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 33. Here's what he said. He said, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, behold, Satan has demanded per permission to sift all of you apostles like wheat. When wheat is sifted, what happens? It is ground to a pulp. Satan is saying, I just want to take your apostles and I just want to ground them to a pulp. But look, he had to ask for permission because nothing happens in the universe without God's permission. Nobody can touch you unless God approves of it. Amen? That's an amazing thing. That should give you so much comfort. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. But I have pr prayed specifically for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, that your faith in me might not fall apart. And you, when once you have turned back again, 
once you stopped your grieving and have come to your senses again, because you do exactly what I'm about to tell you to do, you will go strengthen your brothers. What was he telling them? You're going to betray me too. And all your self-righteousness and all of your courage isn't going to protect you. You're going to do the same thing because you're not as strong as you think you are. Luke twenty-two thirty-three. But Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you, I am ready to go to both prison and to death. Sticking his chest out. Macho, macho man. The village people broke out. I got to be a macho man. Oh, maybe that was before their time. But hey, that's what Peter was saying. That he's macho man. In self-righteousness, Peter thought he was strong. He had no idea how weak he was, and neither do we, especially under pressure. And the Lord informs him of his weakness. Luke chapter 22, verse 34. And Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Well, later that night came the moment of truth. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 to 61. Having arrested Jesus... The chief priests, officers of the temple, and the elders who were against him led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest, Caiaphas. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had handled, and after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Luke twenty-two fifty-six. And a servant girl, seeing Peter as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with Jesus too. A servant girl. And Peter, the Mr. Strong, cowered at the suggestion of the servant girl. Luke twenty-two fifty-seven. Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. That's one. Luke twenty-two fifty-eight. And a little later, another person saw him and said, You're one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. That's two. Luke twenty-two fifty-nine. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man also was with Jesus, for he's a Galilean too. Luke twenty-two sixty. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately after... While Peter was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Yeah, macho man, not so macho now, huh? Luke twenty two sixty one. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that then, right there? And there's a perfect chance for the Lord to say, I told you so, right? But he didn't. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how the Lord had told him, before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And then what did he do? Luke twenty-two sixty-two. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Imagine that. Imagine you letting the Lord down like that. You promising to defend him. You saying you were going to prison and to death. And then at the moment of truth, realizing how weak you are and weeping bitterly. This is sobbing on your knees. I can't believe I, best, I, I, I betrayed my best friend sobbing. 
Well, when we return from the five-minute break, we'll take your offering, and then we'll learn our personal Lord's personal reaction to Peter's failing. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. We're all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus
Welcome back. The Resurrection Day celebration, the personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. The personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. Well, the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did at the cross was done so that we might receive reconciliation. That is a restoration of the relationship between us and God the Father, giving us direct access to a relationship again with God the Father. The Lord broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, the dividing wall being sin, that separated us from God the Father. The Lord's resurrection from the dead was a gift to us so that we might receive this truth in our hearts, that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord, the Jewish Messiah, God the Son in human form, that he is deity, that he is God, that he is exactly who he said he is. His resurrection from the dead allowed us to receive the victory in the creator-creature conflict. Yet the Lord's messages to us are always about giving to others and not about receiving at all. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says this, In everything I, Paul, showed you that you must help the weak and you must remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So we obey him. Be generous on behalf of others just as the Lord is generous to you. And let your giving reflect his generosity. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. You could say I've been resurrected as a deacon for Barah Ministries. Amen. 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 Well, Barah Ministries is a Christian church, and this is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth in the Word of God. And last week, Pastor mentioned a word that you don't really hear that often when you're, when you're listening to a Christian message or a Christian service. Usually you hear grace, mercy, unconditional love, forgiveness. But last week he said procedure. And I was like, oh no, here we go, systematic theology sounds a little, sounds a little old school here. But to me, I love procedure. I love process because I'm, I'm a creature of habit. And I do the same thing over and over again, and I love to have a process. And when you think about it, our whole life is filled with processes every day. Like a couple years ago, I added on to my house. So I had to get a permit, had to look up contractors, you got to start with the process the right way. You have to put the, you know, you have to put the plumbing in, and then you have to put the foundation in, and don't forget to do to spray for termites because they'll pull your tag and have to have to make you spray again. Uh, and then you start your framing and your electrical, and God forbid you forget something, you got to tear it back off for the inspector. See, there's a process for doing it right. You need to add it all up when you first start out. You need to see how much it's going to cost. And when he said procedure, it reminded me of the of, of Luke chapter 14, verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? So we do that, and so does the Lord. The Lord sat down and figured out how much it would cost, how much it would cost to complete each one of our personal, personal lives, personal spiritual lives in him. And you think about it each day. You know, you get up in the morning, you take a shower. You don't put the soap on and then get in the shower, right? You get in the shower, you get unclothed, you get in the shower, you, you do the process. You don't put your clothes on first and then get in the shower. There's a process with everything, just like 
you know, pastor gets up in the morning, he's got his nice suit, it's all pressed. He probably had to have it pressed and had it done at the cleaners. And then he gets on, he, you know, he puts the socks on, his skivvies, and then he puts everything else on the proper order. You know, it's a nice process. And he comes up here and he looks great. He looks, he looks professional. You know, and there's other people, they just put sweatpants on. They just pull them off the floor and they pull a T-shirt off. You know, maybe they're not quite as polished and, and as, as, as nicely... Uh, presented, you know, for, for a resurrection day, you know, you think you might snazz it up a little bit, do some more than sweatpants. <laughs> but I mean, right, he did, Christ did pray for you. <laughs> Zach's wearing sweatpants for everybody not here. <clears throat> but you think about, you think about, you know, the whole process of, of Jesus, his, his birth, his life on earth, living undiminished deity and true humanity at once, living a perfect life. And then his death, his burial, his resurrection, all those things are part of a process that had to take place. And that death was a hard part. That part, that part was no fun for anybody, I'm sure. And so we all have those things in our life. Where we're having a process in our life where maybe we're at a, a phase where it's not a good part. Maybe we're at that death point. Maybe we're at that point where it's the offering in church. But we can always get through it, right? We can always, there's always a part of the process that's necessary. And so, you know, as we're going through life, let's just remember that our lives are a process. And if something's going wrong right now, you're having medical stuff, financial stuff, just remember it's part of God's process. And so we don't need to get all bogged down on it and worry about it. The Christ that we know will resurrect us from all of our problems. So it's very easy to, to get along that way. And just remember that he didn't plan this out and forget about us. He, not, he didn't forget about any one of us. Everything he's done is, has been planned out and there's a process for us. And so thank you for always coming <clears throat> on Sundays and showing, showing your beautiful faces because the, the Lord loves it and so does our pastor. And thank you for always giving it the offering because I realize it's your time, it's your talent, and your treasure that makes that happen. And so we really thank Pastor for this message today because I, I mentioned to, Pat, or to Zach earlier that t- today and Christmas have got to be the hardest messages to write because there's so much to say, there's so much love, there's so much there. And so... Thank you for taking your time to making it, making a great lesson for us and, and providing a service for us. Um, so thank you all and happy Resurrection Day. Power none can do.
What an amazing song. The Resurrection Day celebration, the personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. The personal concern of our personal God shows even from the grave. Well, what is your reaction to betrayal? Let's say a betrayal by your best friend. Peter was one of the Lord's inner circle, one of his best friends. How did the Lord respond to betrayal? Let's go back to the women at the grave. Let's see what exactly happened. Let's hear another version of what happened at the grave in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint Jesus to preserve his body and to keep it from stinking. Matthew chapter 16, verse 2, very on the first day of the week, on Sunday morning, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Mark 16, 3, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? They were thinking this on their way over. Mark 16, 4, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Matthew 16, 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man, an angel, sitting at the right, wearing a white robe which glistened like lightning, and they were amazed. In the Greek, it says they were in shock. Mark 16, 6, and the angel said to them, do not be amazed, don't be in shock. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen from the dead. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. Matthew 16, 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Aha! There's an interesting message. There's something that you might overlook. Tell his disciples and Peter. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Mark 16, 8. And the women went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The Lord was concerned for Peter, and it was personal. Imagine what happened to Peter after he denied his best friend. He was devastated. One of our human best friends who is betrayed would never have expressed concern for a friend as Jesus did. Jesus always forgives. That is not what our human friends do, and that is not what our family does. We don't forgive. We'd like to think we'd do the same, but we don't. We punish those who betray us, and we never let them forget it. And in the process, we never forget it, and we can never move on from our own lives, and we stay stuck in a thing in the past, going over it and over it and over it and over it again, haranguing about it, looking for the next little tidbit of how it could have been prevented when it's over. When I got divorced, I I did that for nine years. Nine years, sitting on the couch, going over and over and over, like, what could I have done differently? And all the revelation. You know what the revelation is? Nothing. Couldn't have done anything differently. It only took me nine years because I'm a slow learner. Amen? Amen. Said that with a little bit too much enthusiasm. (laughs) I'm not a slow learner when it comes to teaching these lessons, though. Amen. Amen, brother. 
So imagine, I, I, I mean, it's just sickening sometimes how people just don't get off it. People who are in your life, they just don't get off it. Just give me a break. Be done with it. Stop bringing up the past. Stop talking about yesterday. I don't want to hear it anymore. I can't fix it. Well, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our God, is simply not that way. As far as the east is from the west, I will not remember your sins. He doesn't want his followers to be that way either. He doesn't want us to be petty people who keep bringing up the past. Unconditional love and forgiveness and grace are the only answers to broken relationships. If you can't love a person unconditionally, and you know, you know what a person who can't love somebody unconditionally is all about? They're all about the princess and the pea. They're all about Cinderella and all of the rest of the Aesop's fables. Oh, it was meant to be, all that crap. Instead of realizing that when you get married or when you're in a relationship, you're going to be in a relationship with a human being who's going to make a lot of mistakes. Now, we got a couple in here that's been married for 58 years. How many mistakes have been made in the course of that relationship in 58 years? Oh, none. None, because it was meant to be. Right? I mean, do you, do, you, do you get it how stupid we are sometimes? Do you get it how we actually go and marry somebody thinking that stupid stuff? As, a, as opposed to thinking the exact opposite. I have picked the person who's going to betray me a bunch of times. And when they do, that's going to reveal who I am. And if who you are, when you realize that somebody that you married is human, is you leave, you are a nobody. Because there is nothing special about that. That takes not one special ounce of anything to do that. That is typical. And as a Christian, that is not conduct that is becoming of a Christian. It is not. That is not how God expects us to act. Now, don't get me wrong. Divorces happen. Don't get me wrong. Relationships take two. Don't get me wrong. There is a time in relationships to say enough's enough. The Lord's relationship with Satan tells you that there's a time to say enough's enough. But when? Immediately? On the first mistake? That's on you. The fact that you didn't know you were marrying a human being, the fact that you're still living in some fantasy land that is meant to be, I don't get it. Because that is not real life. That is not real life. When are we going to start living real life? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Unconditional love and forgiveness and grace are the only answers to broken relationships. If you've got a broken relationship and you can't forgive, what does that say about you? You want to point at the other person. You betrayed me. But what does your lack of unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace say about you? The three fingers pointing back at you. What does it say about you? What does it say about the things you have control over? Because you don't have a control over whether somebody's going to betray you or not. 
And let me tell you this, they will. That's why people don't pay me when I do their wedding ceremony. You're supposed to pay a brother. You're supposed to give him five or six hundred, maybe a thousand. And nobody want to pay me because I told the truth. Okay, look at the other person. That's a human being you're sitting next to. They're going to betray you. <gasps> Everybody, oh, oh, that's not romantic. Oh. Yeah, that's right. You paid $75,000 for some nasty food. You could have gone to Joe's Barbecue, got some barbecue, some tasty ribs. But no, you got some nasty food for a pastor to come up and tell you the truth. Amen. You're marrying a human being. They're going to betray you before you get home. Well, you think I'm kidding? Of course I've done that. I have. Twelve times. They were pissed. But I told them, don't ask me to do your ceremony if you don't want me to tell you the truth. So I'm going to tell you the truth. But they don't care. They're too much into their little fantasy. You know, oh, what would the flowers on the table? 20 years later, you seriously think you're going to worry about what flowers are on the table? No. No. But this is what we want to do. We want to live in a fantasy world. Because it's easier to live in a fantasy world than it is to live in the real world and know that you're marrying a human being. And that your relationship's whole foundation is going to be based on your ability to forgive, to love, and to give grace. If you can't do it, get off the planet. Amen? Well, Peter remembered the Lord's words. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have prayed specifically for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned back again, you're going to fall on your face, and you are going to go curl up in a fetal position with your thumb in your mouth, pull out your rubber hose and beat yourself, and grieve that you could, now that you realize that you are a human being, and you're not as tough as you thought you were. And when you get over all that whining, get up, and go strengthen your brothers. And Peter did exactly what the Lord commanded. And the full account of Peter's, the end of Peter's story is Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 42. I'll let you read that on your own, but I'll tell you this specifically. I'll call your attention to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, which says this. So then, those who had received Peter's words were baptized by God the Holy Spirit. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls to the kingdom of the Lord. Amen? Amen? Get up, stop sucking your thumb, and go strengthen your brothers. Go tell them the stupid thing you did, and go tell them what the Lord did for you when you were at your stupidest. Because that's, that's our scrapbook as Christians, that we do stupid stuff, and the Lord comes in, intervenes for us, and makes it right. He works all things together for our good. 
Romans 8.28. Peter indeed turned back. He strengthened a lot of his brothers, and he did not let his mistakes define him. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to say that again. Peter did not let his mistakes define him. What makes the Lord most special to me is how he treats those who betray him. Every time we sin, we betray the Lord. How does the Lord treat those who betray him? The Lord knew of Peter's special need, and Peter was one of the first people the Lord expressed concern for after his resurrection from the dead. Peter was personal for the Lord. It was personal for the Lord with Thomas as well. And so it is with you. Your redemption, your purchase from the slave market of sin is personal to the Lord. That is why we celebrate today the personal concern of a personal God whose personal concern for us is expressed by his death on a cross, a concern expressed from the grave. His concern was so personal that he stuck around Jerusalem in his resurrection body for 40 days to make sure every one of his disciples was reassured of his resurrection. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this, To these apostles he had chosen, Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering, after his death on the cross, by many convincing proofs appearing to the apostles over 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Peter made one of the biggest mistakes in human history. And we make the same kind of mistakes every day. As James puts it in James chapter 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. And that's the thing that's so funny to me about the accusers among us the ones who are always pointing out where the strong stumbled and where the doer of deeds could have done them better. We all have a log in our own eyes and we're trying to criticize a speck in our brother's eyes. You want to see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eyes? Take the log out of your own eyes. Amen? But we always forget that when we're talking about people. We all stumble in many ways. All of us. Like Peter, we overestimate our human power. Then, betrayal. We find out our human power is not good enough. But the cross made you good enough. Right, June? (laughs) By the way, I I don't know if you guys noticed that or not, but that was a country song. Did you notice that? I almost put on my hat and said, there's W-K-I-K. Playing that June Murphy tune, my cross made you good enough, amen. I almost got country on y'all up in here. (laughs) A personal God, when you make a mistake, when you are broken, when you are not good enough, a personal God welcomes us with open arms when we make mistakes. And he expects us to bounce back, to go to him, to know that we are forgiven, to take advantage of the forgiveness so in our brokenness we can strengthen others. Because, see, I can stand up here and I can talk to you about marriage. Because I'm 65 years old and I spent almost half of my life married. 
And both of those marriages ended in divorce. And I can stand here and tell you what it takes to keep a marriage together. And I'm not talking to you about it from this, you know, I've been married for 58 years spot. That's a phenomenal spot. I wish I could speak from that spot. And every time I think about the awesomeness of that spot, I think, man, what's wrong with me, man? Like, how come I couldn't do it, man? And I admire Larry and Pat for being able to pull that off. Because if you stay together with somebody for a year, that's awesome. (laughs) 58. But I gave at the office. I gave my 26 years. And you know what I learned? It takes two. And everybody who looks at my failures in marriage says, you probably did it. Okay. I'll own it. I was the man. I'll own it. But I wasn't alone. And if you weren't in it, you don't know what the trials of it are. But I wanted to be married. I loved being married. Loved it. Hate being single. But I can stand here from my brokenness and speak into your marriages and your potential relationships. And I can tell you what it takes. And it don't take a fairy tale. There's no fairy tale. It's work. And the only thing that works is unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. If you can't get that down, don't get married. Because all your thought, oh, if we have a baby, it's going to help. No, it isn't. It's going to hurt. If seagulls fly into your life. Eat all your food for 21 years and then fly out and shit on you on the way out. Amen? (laughs) And when they get 13 years old. (laughs) My son did that. And and when they, they get 13 years old, they think they know more than you, but they ain't got a job. My My parents are whack. You're lucky to have your parents. They changed 5,000 of your shit diapers. It paid $75 a week for the privilege. And my mom did it for real. Because there weren't any pampers. It wasn't just this neat little fold up the plastic and throw it in in a bag. It was put your hands down in the cloth and wash it out. She had me doing that when I was 18 months old. She had me washing my own damn diapers by the time I was 18 months old. Come, she said, come on, boy, let me show you what to do. <laughs> the, no, I'm serious. The pee-pee ones, she, I got these. But those, you got to get that. You're dipping in the toilet. Yeah. That's a true story. You think I'm kidding. My mom was a very resourceful woman. (laughs) Look, God does amazing things with people who are broken. Look what he did with a ghetto boy. Look what he did with a ghetto boy, a nobody from nowhere who came from nothing. Look what he did. He loves broken people. What is Peter's reaction to the grace of God? 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, some of the most beautiful words ever written. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, the spiritual birth, from spiritual death to spiritual birth, to a living hope and absolute confidence in the living God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First Peter 1, 4. To obtain an inheritance, you are heirs of promise. An inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Do you own property? Yes. If you're a believer in Christ, you own property in heaven. You have an inheritance waiting for you, imperishable, undefiled, where moth and rust will not destroy nor termites, Deacon Denny. Amen. You don't have to. Ain't nobody up in heaven. Termite in your crib. Amen. First <laughs> Peter 1 Peter 1.5 You believers in Christ who are protected by the power of God, divine omnipotence, protected by the power of God the Father through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 In this we greatly rejoice. That's the betrayer who recovered, saying, In this we greatly rejoice. Peter was happy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 say this, And although you believers in Christ have seen the Lord with your eyes, and you love him unconditionally, and although you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You place your faith in Christ, and the outcome is the salvation of your soul. Amen? Amen. Because God saves you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. Whoever speaks, he is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, he is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Peter said that a bunch of times in his letters. The word of our God, the personal nature of our God, causes a reaction in our soul, and that reaction is joy, a joy inexpressible. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for loving us unconditionally, for demonstrating your love both at the cross and through your resurrection from the dead, through forgiveness and grace. You are truly a God worth worshiping. You are truly an amazing God. So the closing moments, a quick reminder that God wants you. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's as easy as four verses to get yourself read into the picture. Take a moment and make sure you know what it takes to get to heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 tells you that there's a message, and in that message you can believe. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so how do you get to heaven? Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you 
and everyone in your household who believes. Now get this and get it straight. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and nothing else. You add anything to that, cancels your salvation. You cannot add anything to the finished work of Christ. You want to help? You're not saved. Period. Don't help. Accept the free gift. That's it. John chapter 3, verse 36 warns, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. There's only one way to go to hell. Only one way. And it is not because of your sins. What's the one way? Reject the relationship with Christ. You reject the relationship with Christ, you better have stock in asbestos. Because where are you going to live at is hot. <laughs> if you think Phoenix is hot in the summer, you haven't seen hot. And the way they describe the lake of fire is there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh! All I had to do was believe. Oh! For all eternity. Not worth it. All right, closing up, let's hear some music from June Murphy, who puts to music what we just heard in the lesson with her amazing song, He Came from Christmas to the Cross. He came. 
comes to the Father but through Him. Just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation will be yours. You'll belong to Him. He came from Christmas to the cross. From the virgin birth to death and resurrection. doxology of praise to our almighty God. We close each week with a doxology. Well, what exactly is a doxology? It's a song or other words containing praise to our almighty God. So this week it starts in Romans chapter 15 verses 5 to 7 and it says this, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you believers in Christ to be of the same mind with one another that is, to think exactly the same way, operating in harmony, according to your union with Christ Jesus, Romans 15, 6, so that with one accord, you believers in Christ may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 15, 7. Therefore, keep on accepting one another, keep on receiving one another, just as Christ also keeps on accepting all of us in unconditional love to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we are in awe of you. And we are in awe of the gift that you gave by sending your son to die on a cross so that we could be saved. We thank you for letting him pay for all our sins at the cross. We, pray, we thank you for acknowledging that payment that he made with his blood as a perfectly satisfactory payment, totally pleasing to you, a fragrant aroma. We thank you for giving us the guidance of God the Holy Spirit who leads us into all the truth and helps us understand the mind of Christ, the Word of God, so that it can resonate throughout our souls and help us solve all of our problems. Sixty-six books of information that solve every human problem there is. We pray that you send us forth 
from this lesson with spiritual eyes so that we can see the magnificence that you've placed before us. Help us to know that whatever problems we have, you bring solutions and they come one step at a time. And our job is simply to see the solution that you've provided to make the first step and then you'll make the second visible and then the third visible until we're at the destination. And the destination is always the same with you, Father, and that is total vindication and total victory for your believers in Christ. And we look forward to the day we can be absent from this body and face-to-face with you and the entire Godhead. And we thank you for your continued blessings and challenges through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Thank you for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.